Well, it's summertime, the sun is shining, and the tuna are biting. Yamaha Marine and Western Outdoor News are willing to pay you for your biggest bluefin at the 2022 California Tuna Jackpot, August 6th and 7th at the Marlin Club in San Diego. That's right, the top three finishers get a massive payout of $7,000 for first place, $2,000 for second place, and $1,000 for third place based on a 50-boat field. But that's not all. There are additional side pots for tuna and yellowtail to ensure an even bigger payout for your team of two to six anglers. And we aren't just fishing for cash, folks. We're also fishing for prizes from some of the best sponsors in fishing. Hook is going to hook up the angler who catches the biggest fish with a $500 Hook gift card. The winning team will also receive pairs of Costa sunglasses, Plano tackle wraps, pen rods and reels, and an Odyssey spreader bar. We will have a flare gun start the morning of August 6th, presented by California Skier and Riballo. Entry is only $400 for a team of two to four anglers and an extra $100 per angler for a fifth and sixth angler. Sign up before July 22nd to be entered into our early bird drawing to win a Furuno 1871F fish finder worth over $700. Why are you just fishing for fish when you could be fishing for cash and prizes? It's the California Tuna Jackpot presented by Yamaha Marine, August 6th and 7th in San Diego. Sign up now at wonews.com. Everybody that went by was really looking at my fish because it didn't even fit in the bucket I had. (laughs) The headline reads, Fish inventory at two Sierra hatcheries euthanized. Private hatcheries called on to bridge the gap. Welcome back to the Western Outdoor News Podcast. It's July 1st. At least that's the issue of Western Outdoor News that we're talking about today. I'm joined by Mike Stevens. My name's Brad Van Zyl. We are in the Big Fish Challenge season. So July 1st is the kickoff of the Big Fish Challenge presented by Mercury. And we have tons of prizes. We have weekly prizes as well as overall for the five species this year. Uh, head on over to wonews.com slash bigfishchallenge to join and to see all the details on how to enter. It's our Fish Anytime, Fish Anywhere tournament. But let's get to the meat here. We're talking about the Eastern Sierra with Mike Stevens. That's kind of your specialty, right? Well, like maybe around here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I know that you have a, a trip planned for midsummer. So we want to talk about late season Sierra uh, trout targeting. And we also want to talk about the stocking situation and some of the drama going on there. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, we heard from Dave Rodriguez, who was coming off of a sport fishing boat out of Dana Wharf in Dana Point Harbor. And he thought, you know what, I'm going to throw a couple casts below the bridge here in Dana Point Harbor. And you know what he pulled up with? Pulled up with a striper out of Dana Point Harbor. It's not something we see every day. So we gave Dave a call. Let's hear from Dave. Yeah, it was uh, pretty amazing. I was definitely surprised. I just got off a cattle boat at Dana Wharf and decided to fish under the bridge right there in Dana Point. And I was using a, a swim bait, retrieving it slowly about maybe 30 feet out, just slow retrieve and maybe just a couple casts and boom, that thing hit hard. So, so you're using a swim bait. What color swim bait were you using? Brown and orange with like glitter in it. And you said it was, uh, was it deep or closer to the surface? It was close to the surface. I was already uh, maybe seven feet out when it hit. 
Were there multiple stripers that you saw, or was this a one-off? Just the one. Oh, I definitely didn't know it was a striper. I had seen some barracuda earlier, so I thought maybe a barracuda hit it really hard. And when it was fighting, it was just, you know, the fight was uh, really strong, so I I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever caught a saltwater striper before? No, not in saltwater. In freshwater. So it's safe to say you weren't even targeting this. This just happened. Yes. Uh, I have a a small hanging scale at the house and it's showing 13 pounds. Okay. Excellent. So did you, you kept the fish? Yeah, I do. I have, I have it on ice right now. Just going to cook it up. Maybe some, some butter, blackened seasoning or something like that. What pound line were you using? Uh, 12 pound mono. Well, I'm definitely already thinking about going back and swim baiting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Same spot under the bridge in Dana Point there? Yes, yes. Good spot. Caught a lot of fish there. Oh, nice. What Outside of a striper, what have you seen in the harbor there? Uh, bass. I've caught in bass. Um, hit a barracuda. I've had a croaker. And um, yeah, that's most, mostly what I've caught in there. Usually in that spot, I, I target that one area. I like that area. Seems to have produced pretty well. Any other feedback from any of the other anglers that were there? Did anybody else see this happen? Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of people and everybody was uh, pretty amazed. They were, everybody that went by was really looking at my fish because it didn't even fit in the bucket I had. <laughs> so I know a couple months ago now we had a episode fully devoted to saltwater stripers. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. It's really fascinating. But this kind of puts everybody on notice. There's saltwater stripers going around Dana Point Harbor. I mean, these things are popping up everywhere. It happens. It happens. (laughs) But speaking of things that just seem to happen, unfortunately, let's talk about Lactococcus patori. You ever heard of that? Uh, I've only read it. I've never heard it said out loud until right now. I bet I said it wrong, but... um, Let's talk about what this is and why we should all care about Lactococcus patori. It's, it's another one of these viruses that have been plaguing the Department of Fish and Wildlife hatcheries. And this latest round involved two of the two of the main state hatcheries that provide uh, catchable rainbows for the Eastern Sierra. Um, fish Springs and Black Rock um, are both up there off Highway 395. So we we ran the story in in the special Sierra section in this week's issue, and it was kind of focused on how the department is going to look for outside sources for trout to to, to fill the gap left by the lack of those hatcheries. Yeah, I mean the headline reads: Fish inventory at two Sierra hatcheries euthanized private hatcheries called on to bridge the gap. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that the, the the Department of Fish and Wildlife sent out that press release. They got ahead of it. They got ahead of it this time and said, we're going to go find more trout for you. It's it's becoming, it, it's really becoming a problem. Like the hatcheries are already reaching out because of, because of the problems with the hatcheries last year. They're already reaching out to other hatcheries or other parts of the state to stock the Sierra. And, you know, and now, I mean, if they're going to reach out to private hatcheries, they're going to be coming from out of state, which is already happening. The Sierra already gets the Desert Springs fish, um, which are the bigger ones. They already get Wright's Rainbows out of Idaho. 
And to be honest with you, it's getting to the point where I think the department needs to get out of the fish stocking business. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly there's there's private hatcheries out there who know how to do it. Like they know, you know, the, I haven't heard of a, pro- a private hatchery dealing with this yet. Um, something what do you with, think the cause is? Can you even say? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I who knows? It's it's you, you see the department post these announcements on social media and the comments are just endless anger from fed up anglers, people who are paying for the most expensive fishing licenses in the nation. And so they're paying more and getting less out of it. There's just a lot to talk about here. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, the whole idea of them getting out of the fish stocking business isn't a new one. Ernie Cowan wrote in an editorial a couple years ago, that that's exactly what they should do. And, you know, there's talk of a, you know, maybe an Eastern Sierra stamp that will help fund stocking or something like that. But in my opinion and the opinion of many others, I think they should just step away mm-hmm. from stocking trout. Yeah, I I know that, well, just the idea that you proposed was the Eastern Sierra stamp. But isn't it kind of my understanding that the actual license itself should be paying for this and not, right. not an additional stamp? Yeah, it's that's true, too. And it's been like like I already mentioned they're more expensive than any other state we're getting less out of them and the state has never well I don't know never but they don't show record they don't share records of where the trout are stocked they show the schedule of where they plan on stocking them and not and even that's not accurate because a lot of the times they're not going to stock those areas if the water's too warm or the water's too low or something happened that's just the the ideal situation when you go to the dfw website look at the stocking schedule um that's just their game plan Mm -hmm. that doesn't tell you when that doesn't confirm any stocking and it's it seems to me that that is some something that since it's something the public pays for we should be able to get records of how many fish were stocked where they were stocked every year Mm -hmm. that seems reasonable especially if the fees keep going up right so so one part of the headline that kind of stood out to me was that the two hatcheries that were affected, they had to euthanize all the trout. And this is kind of a silly question, but, I mean, what does that even look like? Do you, do you have any idea what that um, what that I, means? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't want to speak for the department and how they handle euthanizing an entire hatchery. Um, I have worked in a hatchery before, a saltwater fish hatchery, and when it, uh, we never had to wipe out the whole hatchery but every once in a while one raceway got some kind of infection and we had to euthanize it and the way they did it was they just used a chemical and believe it or not um i believe it's a derivative of cocaine <laughs> so oh, i believe it <laughs> yeah so they they basically odm and then they drain the tanks all the water out they let it get dry because anything that wet, once it gets dry, it's going to wipe out everything. And then they run fresh water through it and, um, you know, whatever, depending on what the what the um, the disease or whatever it was, they would treat that raceway, mm-hmm. then start running salt water through it again. And then once it was, you know. Cleared. Yeah, once it was all good to go, you know, you could start raising fish in there again. But that was like, again, that was a marine fish hatchery. And, um, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe they zap them. Like, who knows? Okay. You know, it's a lot of fish, you know. I, yeah, I just, when I read that, I thought, oh, my gosh, kind of morbid. Yeah. But how do they even do that? <laughs> so 
we're talking about the bacterial outbreak at these uh, two Eastern Sierra hatcheries. What's the bright side here? I mean, is the bright side that private hatcheries are, are potentially going to step in to bridge the gap? And we, yeah. we could have just been left high and dry, right? Right. I mean, I guess if there's a bright side, it's that the department is at least saying they're going to supplement the loss from the outside. And um, I was just estim- guesstimating that it would be private hatcheries. Um, it could, well, it almost certainly is going to involve other trout hatcheries run by the state to stock other parts of the state. So maybe Northern California, but that was already going on since, since last, the, you know, the previous hatchery drama. So wherever it's coming from, it's, everything's going to be spread pretty thin, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, right. Like I said, Wright's rainbow is already doing some stocking in the Sierra. There's already the, um, premium desert Springs fish, but you know, those are expensive and I really doubt they're going to, bring those in um if anything the department stocks trout last i read was an average of two fish to the pound so really small (laughs) like rainbows so if they do actually bring in fish to supplement what's not going maybe they'll be better fish you know and i don't know when that's supposed to start maybe it'll be i mean i'll be up there at the end of july And, you know, I can also talk to my contacts in there to see if it's, you know, what's happened. Maybe we can revisit this later. But, you know, if anything, you know, I'm sure they'll be better than state rainbows. Right. You know? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to keep an eye on this and uh, see how things progress. It seems like the number one point of contention for the trout world and the Eastern Sierra is that is the the, – are these hatcheries and the DFW. It seems to always be kind of the pain point for yeah. for an Eastern Sierra trout angler. Right. Yeah. It's um they're important. You know, I you know, I I can make fun of the size of the trout they stock all I want, but it's still important because those are the fish that are going on stringers and going back to campgrounds for the campfire. That's what kids are catching. You know, that's what really brings a lot of people up there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that um financially it trickles down into everything yeah. when that many people are going up there and you know if 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 there's no fish to be caught you know even if it's all the browns and goldens and brooks and stuff that's up there naturally that's not what the masses are going up there for you know it's it's going to be a problem if if word gets around to casual maybe once a year anglers you know that fishing's no good up there anymore mm-hmm. it'd be a shame yeah. Well, speaking of being good up there, you have a trip planned for the late season here, I guess we can call it. Uh, yeah. And you also wrote an excellent article in this week's paper. It is uh, entitled Prioritizing Inlet Areas for Late Season Eastern Sierra Trout for Mid to Late Summer Following a Light Winter these areas are prime real estate. I was I didn't, wasn't going to read the whole thing, but then I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, tell me about the trip that you have planned. Tell me about this article, and let's kind of paint a positive light because okay. there is still fun. There's still catch to be had. There's <laughs> there's fun to be had and fish to catch, so to speak. Yeah. So, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, my trip. I I usually take my week long trip with my dad, and my brother, and my stepmom. And maybe a couple other visitors uh, right now. Like, I'm usually up there at the end of June, but it it wasn't going to work this year. So we had to push it back into the last week of July, 
which, I mean, I, I've been up there in July, I've been up there in August, and it's a tough time to be up there, you know, period. And this is, now this year it's going to be following, you know, a light winter, and there's more crowds. Ever since 2020, there's been more crowds, especially in the midsummer up there. Um, so we're going to make adjustments. We'll probably fish a lot in the backcountry. We'll get as high altitude as we can. Um, probably fish from boats a lot more. But, um, yeah, the, the, the article I wrote about inlets, um, I mean, everybody, everybody wants to fish around an inlet. It's like a, it just draws anglers. I mean, a, on opening day, guys are running out to the inlet of Convict Lake at 3 o'clock in the morning just so they can get there first. Um, and I have found over the years that, you know, A, there's a good reason to fish around inlets, but you don't have to be right on top of it to benefit from it. You can actually be a hundred yards away from it and still benefit from it. You know, I, I've, I don't know if I put this in the article, but I've in conversation, I've likened it to like fishing a kelp paddy, you know, like newbie boat owners will go out there and get right on top of the paddy, if not tie off to it and think they have to be on top of that paddy to get the benefit from it. When really, you know, you're dealing with something going on underwater that could be, you know, a hundred yards in diameter, you know? So there's just different ways to get after it without, you know, standing right on top of the, um, where the water comes into the lake. You know, I talk about how that, that current continues, um, well offshore in many cases. And, you know, there's just, especially this year when that's going to be the coolest, most oxygenated water at this time of year, after the winter we had, um, it, I mean, I'll be looking for inlets and outlets on every lake I fish this year. Okay. Uh, so you have three kind of subheaders to this story here. You have uh, the first one, not all inlets are created equal. I don't want you to spoil the whole thing, but, okay. but kind of tell me why not all inlets are created equal. Well, just using Convict Lake as an example, you know, there's the famous inlet on the back of the lake that, you know, people say I fish the inlet or all the fish are biting at the inlet. Um, well, okay. It's a great, it's a great spot out there, but, um, you know, that's actually the Creek coming into the lake An inlet can also be snow melt or it could be a spring, you know, where it's just a trickle of water coming in. You know, I've seen, I I've been on lakes where water's trickling into where you can barely hear it going into the water and you look offshore out in front of that, um, where the water's going in and you'll see, trout nosing into that microcurrent 20 yards offshore and probably further i just can't see them yeah and you know there's that and they're you know like i said there's springs there's uh, a couple years ago we were up at south lake when there was a lot of runoff going on so there was the main inlets from the creek but there were also all these snowmelt inlets and um we didn't even make it to the main inlets because the fishing was so good about around those snowmelt ones that are probably going to be gone mm-hmm. a month later you know um does, that's what well here's a little question to add on to that does structure and uh, does protection from the elements have anything to do with an inlet sometimes if you see an inlet and there's there's not a, a floating branch or a tree or a shadow line or anything does mm-hmm. that have any effect or are they just staring at that inlet um well i think they're you know trout most fish are always going to be facing into the current and 
you know, in those that moving water delivers them food, it delivers them oxygen. I think there might be a level of protection in the like the disturbance on the surface from like you know, there's Birds eagles and, up there, yeah. ospreys, you know, can't see them as well. Um, so yeah, maybe that's there. And there's usually you know, shallow water with access to deep water, which again, most fish like. So yeah, that can definitely be playing a part. Okay. Uh, all right. So jumping to the next header that you have here, how do you attack them? I mean, you've already kind of touched on this, but how do you approach an inlet? Are you going stealth mode? Are you casting right into it, like you said, or are you you fanning your casts out around it? It depends. Like if if you if you do get right on top of one, you know, most most people are just casting out into the out in front of it where. You know, there's still some ripple on the water. It's starting to drop off. Um, where where I've got where I've gotten creative is op, in a boat. You know, you can get offshore these things, and if you kind of have an idea where the creek, the historical creek, creek channel is running. If it's a dammed lake, that means that creek was running through that spot. 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of visualize, you know, maybe the mountains or how it flows in you know if even if you don't have electronics you can kind of guess where it is and orient yourself to where you can you know work lures along it or i talk about trolling them i talk about casting them i even think i touch on fishing bait around them Mm -hmm. but you can be you know well offshore and still in a boat or a float tube or a kayak and and still take advantage of them okay all right, so um, let's go to the last. This one had the had me scratch my head the most. Mm-hmm. Shop the outlet mall too. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what do you every, mean by this? Every lake that has an inlet is going to have an outlet because the water's got to go somewhere. And while an outlet doesn't deliver everything that an inlet does, it does it does create kind of a a funnel, and it 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 collects. So it could have the the food collecting properties of one. Um, they also tend to get jammed up with, you know, floating logs and branches and stuff. And, you know, that creates an environment that does have the overhead cover you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them, it's so plugged, you can walk across them, Wow. you know, and, you know, brook, you catch a lot of brook trout at outlets cause they like hanging around on all those sticks. Um, and, uh, again, the water's moving, which means it's more oxygenated than water elsewhere on the lake that's not. And um, it also doesn't get a lot of the attention from casual anglers who head straight for those inlets. You know, I've I've done probably just as good, all you know, as long as I've been going up there on outlets too, especially in the backcountry, like even little hike-in lakes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So look at the inlets, but don't forget the outlets <laughs> and uh, and try some of these techniques that you talk about on page six and page seven of this week's issue of Western Outdoor News. We've literally only talked about two pages out of this issue. And I mean, this is a 30 plus page paper. So if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to Western Outdoor News or pick us up at your local tackle shop or on your newsstand. Anything else noteworthy in this issue of Western Outdoor News? It was a pretty heavy salmon issue. I was just saying to the guys before they left that this is really uh, north, northern California and maybe the central coast 
are getting a lot of the headlines. They've the, there's a big, you know, the the salmon are biting across a huge area, and we covered at least three of those areas in the paper. Wow. Um, you know, big salmon. It it was a little bit slower offshore down here, so uh, North got the big headlines this week. Yeah, and speaking of headlines, we got the San Diego offshore jackpot last week, and that made some headlines. I think it was an ultimate redemption story. The San Diego offshore jackpot was a this this year was a five boat tournament out of San Diego. We had Fisherman's Landing, Point Loma Sport Fishing, and H and M Landing representing across five boats. And last year, Condor actually broke down and was unable to fish the tournament. Mm. This year, what did Condor do? They swept it. They came back. I mean, it's a tournament for the three biggest fish. Um, from all the fish that are all the tuna that are caught from uh, those five boats, and one, two, and three were anglers on the condor. Yeah, yeah, it was the ultimate redemption story. I yeah. mean, it, being out last year and then taking first, second, and third place this year, they they swept it. So plus they get that trophy back. They they lost at the Point Loma Sport or the landing. You know, yeah, Point Loma Sport Fishing had it for a year and. Uh, Fisherman's got it right back. The trophy will live for the next year at Fisherman's Landing, so we'll see where it lands again next year. Uh, it's always the last Friday in June, so we'll see everybody in 2023 at the San Diego Offshore Jackpot. Um, coming up next, we've got the uh, the Big Fish Challenge, of course. We've mentioned that. And then the first week of August, we have the Cal Tuna Jackpot, again, out of San Diego. So we have tons of events. Of course, Trout Fest is uh, returning to Big Bear Lake in October. And then we have the U.S. Open. And then we have our Cabo Tuna Jackpot. So we have a, a full slate. The year's only halfway over, but our year seems to just have <laughs> begun um, there's also one thing that we should mention. Uh, you will be headed back to the world-famous ICAST event right. in Florida uh, in this month in July. Mm. So I know a couple of things have been trickling out uh, on what we can see or what we can look forward to at ICAST this year. But for those of you that don't know, ICAST is the biggest industry event in this industry of sport fishing. And uh, it, this is where all of the biggest manufacturers show their latest and greatest uh, technology and latest and greatest products as well. So Mike Stevens will be going there and taking photos and covering all the, the newest releases. And that's uh, in the middle of July here, mm -hmm. right after uh, July July 20th, I believe. Yeah, yeah right up to July. Yes. So July mid-july so we have a lot of things coming up stay tuned to western outdoor news to hear about all of it and come fishing with us we have all those events head over to wonews.com to check it out thanks for listening guys no chocolate milk this week <laughs> no I, coffee 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 this time